from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is the G and Ursula Show with G. Scott and Ursula Voitine. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday, and thank you for listening to the G and Ursula Show. I do have a return time for Ursula. It will be next Tuesday. Next Tuesday, she will be back. We can't wait to have her back. Joining us today on the G and Ursula Show, the host of Cairo Night, Jake Scorheim. Good morning, Jake. Good morning. Good to have you with us, brother. How was the weekend? It's great to be here. Good weekend. Lots Good. of fun. Lots of fun? Yep. Good. Can look forward to having the show with you today. Good morning to you, brother Chef. Good morning, G. You, you All re- that mango bread in the in the break room was so good this morning. Yeah, I mean, really? <laughs> you know it's day eight. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. I was doing good. Good morning, Nick. <laughs> What's up, man? Oh, I'm just getting it, man. So, look, we have a lot in store for you, including at 930, I'm going to tell you how yesterday when my wife asked me, did the Seahawks win? I said, no. I'll tell you what happened and why I said that. We'll do that at 930. But right now, let's get to it. Top stories of the day brought to you by Scar 40, Susu and Auburn. Huge news on Friday, seven minutes after takeoff over Portland. A plug door blew out on a brand new Boeing 737 MAX 9 airplane. 771 passengers, six crew survived after an emergency landing. Luckily, no one was sitting in row 26 when that door blew out. A teenage boy sitting one row forward had his T-shirt ripped from his body when the cabin depressurized. But two cell phones that flew out of the plane were covered after falling 16,000 feet. One was found undamaged, still in airplane mode, with the passenger's baggage claim ticket pulled up on the home screen. That door was found in a Portland school teacher's backyard, G. 171 MAX planes are grounded. Jake, let me start off by saying this. First, I'm glad nobody was killed in this situation. A miracle. I'm glad no one lost yeah. their lives. I want to say that. I'm glad that everyone made it back to safety. Two, this is a very scary situation and a story for some reason that keeps happening with Boeing attached to it. But this is bigger than Boeing, and it's not just a Boeing thing. Here's where I'm going with this. I feel like today our systems in companies right now where companies, I'm not saying this specifically for Boeing. I'm just telling you the feeling that I have. Hear me out. I feel like companies are trying to go about the cheapest way possible to get things done. So, for an example, when it comes to Boeing, maybe some of the technical engineers of the past that they have, maybe some of the checks and balances that might have taken a little bit more time and money aren't there anymore because it feels like companies, not just Boeing, are kind of doing the cheapest way possible on things because the share price on stock usually are some of the most important things that go on in this country. I wonder, I wonder if today or this weekend, if a huge concern on a lot of people was the share price of what the Boeing stock would be on Monday. I wonder how many people, if you work for Boeing or if you don't work for Boeing, if you have Boeing stock, if you were on there this morning, Looking at 
the share price. Now, someone might say to me, gee, you sound a little cynical. Maybe I do. But it's just a feeling that I have because it just feels like companies are trying to do the least and trying to get the most out of these share prices. And that's why these things keep happening. This is a company like Boeing that's been around since 1916. There is no way that we should be hearing about stuff like this, especially when the airplane has been in existence for two months, brother. Here's a question I have for you. Would this affect your future flying? Mm-mm. Like when you watch something like this, when I watch that video, and people can go online and see this, and it's probably somewhere on mynorthwest.com if you want to check it out. Yeah. But the entire side panel of this plane just blows off. Yeah. And what what basically was is because of the configuration of this plane, there was only like 180 something passengers on the flight. Yeah. If they had more people on the plane, which they could have fit more people on the plane, they would have been required through the FAA to have some configuration where this was actually being used as an exit row. But because they didn't, it was just they had this thing called a just like a plug. So mm-hmm. it was just plugging it in. So this thing just blows off. Like right. what was it? Seven minutes, right, Andrew, into the flight? Yeah. Seven minutes into the flight, and. What I was amazed by, one, that nobody got hurt. Like, I agree with you. It's a miracle. It's unbelievable that nobody got hurt. But two, there's video. There's TikTok videos that people posted on the flight as it's flying thousands of feet up in the air. Yeah. And once all that, once the plane, like, you know, once it, when it, once it depressurizes and, and, you know, or I guess stabilizes or whatever it's doing, people are talking and they're just, there's a big gaping hole in the side of this jet as they're, and they safely land. As a person sitting on that jet, like, how do you ever get back on a plane? Without having just extreme PTSD. I I think if you were on the plane, Jake, you're right. I think for them, that might be tough. Yeah. Right? Like, I think that it doesn't do it justice what happened from just seeing it on my phone, on social media. But if I was on a plane. Forget it. Forget it. That's That's a different story. But you ask me, is this going to have me question my travel? No. No, because. Now, why, why is that? Because we are so used to things going right. We are so grandfathered into, oh, it's Boeing. They've been around since 1916. Well, and sti- we don't know anything else different. St- statistically, I mean, everybody pulls this out every time there is an incident in the air. They say it's the safest mode of travel, which when you look at it, there hasn't been a fatality on a commercial airline flight in the United States since 2009. And there was a flight that crashed in 2009. I think it was near New York. 49 people passed away. But since 2009, there hasn't been a single air fatality uh, with the airlines. Mm-hmm. And think about how many thousands of flights are over us right now, happening all day, 24 hours a day. Yep. So, yes, it's very safe mode of travel. And even this plane, with a giant gaping hole in the side, still manages to land safely. All 170-plus people get off. Yeah. I, I, I think people have reason to be concerned. I mean, just, just Friday, the same day this happened, the Seattle Times reported that Boeing had asked the FAA to exempt the MAX 7 from safety rules to keep it in the air. The reason why, pilots of the MAX 8 and 9 had been warned not to turn on the anti-icing system for more than five minutes in dry conditions mid-flight, or it could cause parts of the engine housing to fly off the plane after overheating. Like, literally, the cowling that's around the end and just fly off the plane. And and Boeing says to the (laughs) FAA, hey, the pilots have the warning. They're not going to turn it on for more than five minutes, so we're good here. And and now this blows out on the aircraft? Yeah. I I, I will say, if one of the places that I used to always like to sit sometimes. Exit row. 
Anyone and why? <laughs> Everyone likes it for the same reason. Because nothing ever happens in an extra row, and you get the extra foot, foot room. Yeah, first yeah. off the plane, no matter what. You're yeah. totally right. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yikes. G, <laughs> G you want to sit in extra row or in the lavatory? Uh, put me in the back, baby. Oh, forget it. I, <laughs> oh, all right. Protesters demanding a ceasefire in Gaza shut down I-5 in Seattle for over four hours on Saturday afternoon. Six-mile backups. SPD and the state patrol moved onto the freeway to apparently observe and keep someone from getting hit killed because there were no arrests made. Protesters left the freeway of their own accord after 6 p.m., leaving about a dozen vehicles behind for tow vehicles to clean up, G. Um, I had just missed the the traffic being stopped. I literally just missed it because I was pulling into Mm. Seattle. I had an event at Climate Pledge Arena, and I just missed it. Matter of fact, someone who was on their way, they were like, hey, did you get stopped? I'm like, no. And so then I got on my phone, and I got Mm -hmm. to see what was going on. I bring this up, Jake and Chef, because let me admit something first, okay? If I would have been stuck in it, considering what I had to go and do, I would have been upset. I don't want to lie to you guys. But as I was sitting down and I was thinking about it, as I was one, I was like, man, I was upset that I would have been upset. And two, um, while... I know there's a lot of people that don't like these peaceful protests. They consider them unlawful. People that, like myself, would have considered it an inconvenience. I just think about the many things in our past and many laws and many things that have been changed and atrocities that have been stopped because of people in peaceful protests or, if you will, inconveniencing some like myself from getting to my next destination. So while I would assume that there are some people listening saying they can't do that anymore, there are some people that are also listening saying, you know what, Um, how else are we going to draw attention to what's going on and, and some of the that believe that what's going on over there is wrong. So that's my take on that one. If I was stuck in this traffic, yeah. like whenever I get stuck in traffic, when I was younger, I had a pretty quick trigger and I would be like, oh, I'm upset. I can't believe it. But as I've gotten older and as I now appreciate the, you know, the sanctity of life and how valuable life is and how quickly it can be snapped away. And I think about like horrible traffic accidents that happen on highways and things like that. So if you're ever in a bad backup, and there's an accident up ahead. You're like, oh, man, like they need time to clear this. They need to figure this out. Sure. So in that case, I've learned to be a little more calm in situations like this. I still wouldn't like it. I still wouldn't like it. But I, I, I would be more calm in situations like this. But if I got up to the front and I see that it's a bunch of people protesting and they're blocking the highway and they're running around screaming intifada for four hours for three hours, they're screaming. And then, if, then they just leave their vehicles, and then the cops have to figure out how to get those vehicles off the road. Mm-hmm. I don't like it, and I don't want them blocking traffic. I saw a video of these women who were walking around with babies in their arms who were right behind where the protesters stopped, and they're in their cars. Now I'm, I see everything through life as, like, as a parent now. And if I'm mm-hmm. with my three kids, and I'm stuck in traffic because somebody wants to make a political point, no thank you. I don't like it. I, I don't... I just want to say to you and anyone else, I agree. And I, before we started, I admit it to you guys. I said if I would have been stopped, I would have been upset. Sure. Right? So, because a lot of times when it doesn't affect you, 
it's easy for you to be like, oh, yeah, go ahead and do it. That's awesome. But then if it does, you have a different take. I think the way that I had thought about this, and Chef and I talked about it this morning, I just didn't give him my take. I just know that there has, in this country, because of peaceful protests, there have been so much fight for different things. Like, there's a lot of things in this country that have not been given to folks. There has been huge fights and protests to get some of the equity and equality in this country. So that's just here on about what's going on here, yeah. let alone what's going on in the world. So I wonder some of the things and tragedies, atrocities that have happened in the past that we've learned about in history. I now know what we would have done during those times, Chef. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you guys have a very nuanced takes. I, I'm sure I would have been fuming in the moment. Afterwards, I probably would have calmed down. I mean, because the, the point that they're making is that we're not paying attention. And how, how many of us really are? There's, there's over 20,000, 22,000 people dead. Uh, there's over half a million people starving. Literally half of a million people starving. The level of bombing there is greater than any conflict in recent history. Uh, the bombing in Gaza is worse than Dresden in Germany during World War II. In the first week, they were dropping a 1,000 bombs a day, over 10,000 airstrikes. Half the bombs are unguided in civilian-occupied land. And we have Senator Patty Murray, who has the purse strings of the Senate Appropriations Committee here. We have Representative Adam Smith, who chairs the Armed Services Committee, approves weapon sales. They're trying to make a point. I don't know if they made it, though. Yep. All right, one last one. Sorry, I'm not good at that. Okay. All right, you dub. For the first time in University of Washington Husky history, the dogs will play for the chance to become the sole national college football champion in the nation. Kickoff against the Wolverines. From Houston to 445 G Scott. Have you ever gotten in a, out of a relationship? Either you've been dumped or you've gone through a divorce and just life is pretty bad. And then your friend calls you up, Jake, and being like, hey, man, hey, lady, let's get out of the house. Let's go get a beverage. Let's just go, go down the street. I think the University of Washington is the let's go out for a beverage to Seattle, to the Pacific Northwest. It is needed right now. The Seahawks not going to the playoffs. The Mariners season. Things have been really bad. And right now, the University of Washington has an opportunity to really make things good again. That friend that takes you out for that beverage and just to get you out of the get house. Get your spirits. Yeah, get your spirits up. Yeah. That's what UW can do against the University of Michigan that happens today. Kickoff 445. Your thoughts, Jake? I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be fantastic. Um, I'm hoping they're going to win. Wolverines are really good from what I've heard, but UW is also very good. So yeah. I'm thrilled. I'm excited. And you get to Well, no. Actually, I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be doing my show. That's right. But That's right. I will be. Uh, I'll be watching it here in the studio. There you go, uh, Chef. Or can you can you watch this game without big picture and tax implications and public? Can you do that, Chef, at all? Mm, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm going to be watching with Matthew, and his excitement will overwhelm uh, my cynicism. Yeah. Okay. Uh, That's good. Let's check in with Brother Nick. Nick, your excitement on this game. I got the surround sound going on, the big screen at home. We're ready to rock and roll. This is the biggest game in UW history. Yeah. yeah it, very good, good point. Yeah. Good point. And, and, and do me a favor. Seriously, no, no, and I'm being serious about this. This is a big day. 
try to kind of, if you will, journal a little bit. If you can, write down what was happening, who was all over, what you were watching, what you ate, all those good things, because you'll be able to tell this story to your kids and grandkids and all that kind of stuff, because you'll be you'll be talking about this either way going forward. Hey, speaking of not so good news, the Seahawks are not in the playoffs. So, Jake, you're going to help me. You're going to help me find the light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to the Seahawks season. Right. They didn't make the playoffs, but they did win yesterday. So we discussed that next. It is the Gene Ursula Show with Jake. Show. Good morning, everybody. Coming up at 947. Nick, just so you know, Jody Foster has some thing to say about Gen Z. Oh, boy. Yes. And I'm going to see if you agree with Jody Foster because you know what? I do. Okay. All right. Game I on. do. Yes. But the Seattle Seahawks uh, played a game yesterday against the Arizona Cardinals down in Glendale, Jake. And did the Seahawks win? Yes, they did. They are now 9-8 and eight on the season. They had a winning season, another winning season, technically, under Pete Carroll. However, even though the Seahawks won for the second time, I thought that they lost. Yesterday, I got home from watching the game. My wife had gone to uh, a baby shower, and I was kind of on my phone as she was sitting there. She says, oh, did the Seahawks win? I'm like, no. And I said, whoa, whoa, yeah, they they won, yes. And then this morning, on with Colleen and Dave, I said, well, this Seahawks lost two times. I did it. Yes, they won, but they did not make the playoffs. It didn't feel like a win. It didn't feel like a win. And then yesterday was just such a disappointment. I'll admit that as a fan, I have been spoiled. We have been spoiled, I feel like, from since 2010. The Seahawks going to the playoffs is just like, what do you mean they didn't go to the playoffs, right? Because if the Mariners don't go to the playoffs, it's like, oh, okay. But if the Seahawks don't go to the playoffs, it feels like the end of the world. Nine and eight, but yet I feel like this was such a rough season because I believe that the Seahawks team fell below expectations, not just from the fans, but I believe from themselves as well. As a team, as an organization, the expectation was to make the playoffs this season, piggybacking off what they did last season. It definitely felt so. I was watching the game yesterday with my son. We're watching it, and they, you know, uh, their kicker misses the kick. Yeah. So the Seahawks got the win, which was great. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, in the last three minutes of the, I think what was it last the four, three, three or four minutes left in the game. Yeah. Everybody gets word that Green Bay has won. So no matter what happens in the Seahawks game. They're still not going to the playoffs because they needed Green Bay to lose and Seahawks needed to win. So they still had some nice moments at the end. Uh, Lockett had that great touchdown catch. He's a class act. The whole team played well. I mean, they did they did pretty good. Mm-hmm. It just didn't feel like a win. No. And then after the game, you're just kind of going like, you know, I, you do get the sense that they are as disappointed in themselves as we all are disappointed that they didn't get into the playoffs. And I do think you're right. Like we were talking about this a little bit before the show. I think the culture with the Seahawks is 
they want to win being the playoffs and they mm-hmm. want to win a Super Bowl and they're ruthless. I don't get that same sense from the Mariners necessarily. I don't get the sense that like they're going, "Hey, it's got to be it's got to be uh, you know, um playoffs and World Series." Mm-hmm. Like the Seahawks are. The Seahawks seem hungry for it still. Right. And so you want them to get it so bad. I mean, I want the Mariners to get it too, but right. So yesterday was really disappointing. And I'm trying to explain to my son, he's like, "But they won, so why aren't they going to the playoffs?" I'm like, "Well, it's all about schedule and, you know, they're disappointed right now in New Orleans too and, you know, it's just we can all hate Green Bay. That's what I came away right. feeling. We can just hate Green Bay. So here's another reason, another angle for Seahawks fans that um, that kind of kept me up last night. I think the difference is, so I think, I think the last time that I have felt unsure about something was 2009 after that season. Jim Moore was the head coach. He was fired. The head coach that was brought in at the end of January and or February was Pete Carroll. We became the head coach. I was unsure what that season was going to be like. I was also unsure what the season was going to be like post-Russell Wilson, which was the year before when Geno Smith became the starter. And had an incredible season. Right. Yeah. The feeling I had in 2009 was, oh, I really don't know how this is going to go. Oh, my goodness. Compared to the season I had post-Russell Wilson when Geno Smith was going to be I just had this feeling like, mm, I'm not sure, but I could kind of see. what uh, I was up in the air. For some reason, going into this next season and going into the offseason, I feel like I did in 2009. I just... You feel like there's an earthquake of change that needs to happen or is going to happen? I'll give you the reason why. Number one, the Seahawks defense last season against the run ranked 30th in the NFL out of 32 teams. So, got to get better, right? This season, they got worse. They ranked 31st in the NFL. Rushing the football, running the football as a team. The Seahawks team ran for like 1,528 yards. What we have seen from the Seahawks has this, the ability to stop the run and also being able to run the football. The Seahawks were like kind of bottom five on offense and running the football. Mm -hmm. So those things kind of make me say, next season, how can things get better? I don't know. Do you think it's a coaching thing? There's a lot of people who are saying Pete Carroll's going to go. You don't think that's going to no, happen. And don't. you don't think it should happen. No. No, you love Carroll. I love Carroll. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do. I do. I, I mean, so if things aren't going right with the company, right? If things do, are the, the first thing, hey, you know what? The CEO needs to go. That's not usually what happens, right? Everybody's like, oh, the, the boss needs to go. Oh, it was a bad year. Money wasn't right. The, the CEO needs to go. No. The CEO, which I kind of equate to Pete Carroll, needs to make some some changes somewhere. I'm I'm not at liberty to say I don't know, and I'm not going at it on whose job should be lost or kept. But let's be real, some changes do need to be made within the coaching staff and also with the players. I I just feel like there is something they need to figure out how to spice up because I didn't really feel at any point in the season I didn't feel like 
they have this extra magic or this extra gear that they could kick into mm-hmm. and just like dominate a game. Right. They were always, I don't know, if they won, they won by a little bit. Yeah. And it would be nice to get back to the point where you feel confident. I, I would have loved to be in that conversation with you and your son when your son's like, I, I don't understand. <laughs> they just won. Wow. Yeah. What do you mean they're not it, going to the playoffs? It really sucks all the joy out of a win, doesn't it? When you're like, hey, they won. They missed the goal. Like, if that that could have been that moment where their kicker missed the, goal, missed the field goal, yeah. could have been one of the best moments of the year no if the Packers had lost. Right. It would have been the best, but yeah, it wasn't to be. But that's what happens, and that's the great thing about sports. Yeah. We always have next year. You asked me before the segment, you're like, I need to help you find a silver lining. Yeah, help me. We got next year, right? So they're gonna have they're gonna come up. That's not a great one, but they're gonna no, but they're gonna come up with something that you're talking about right here. It's gonna be some shakeup. It's probably not gonna be coaching. It's not gonna be Carol. No. But it's gonna be somebody that's introduced into the into the situation that just like, I don't know, maybe coalesces everything. Right. Maybe it's a quarterback. I don't know. We'll see. You know what else upsets me? Is Chef. This entire what? season. What? What did I do? Just tell the truth. Yeah. You haven't you haven't really liked the Seahawks all season, have you? No. What? I thought they were gonna be done three weeks ago. Four weeks ago. Well, you were kinda right. No, no, yeah. yeah. He, he he just he just hasn't. Well yeah. who who has been excited about this team? I've seen him go to the Super Bowl now. You know, I could, I notice when it's a middling team. No one ever had great expectations. It's a middling team. Yeah. Yeah, it's a middling they're team. They're all right. It's just it all right season. Nick and that's okay. Were you excited about the Seahawks team to see? I think they were right on the line with what I was expecting going into it. Maybe a game or two above, but uh, they've got some questions they got to answer this offseason. All right. Well, speaking of questions that need to be answered, I want to talk about Jody Foster. Oh, don't, don't you guys worry. We are going to be talking about Joe Coy. Oh, that's going to be coming up at 10 o'clock. I want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, Jake, you see my man, Joe Coy? Oh, he hosted the Golden Globes. I wonder if he's going to be invited back to host. We'll see. You guys know Joe Coy is from here. Up next, Jody Foster has some interesting things to say about Gen Z. See if you guys agree with that next. It is the Gen Show. Show Joe Coy, you guys a fan of Joe Coy? Well, Joe Coy was the host of the Golden Globes last night, and we'll see what you think about the kind of job that he had done. I'll admit, I'm a Joe Coy fan, but since Joe Coy has gotten bigger, I'll kind of share that at 10 o'clock. But right now, brother Jake, so check this out. Jodie Foster, the actress who's now starring in the Netflix show True Detective, which you were telling me about just now during the break, uh, tells The Guardian that she doesn't like working with one generation. She says this about Gen Z. They're really annoying, especially in the workplace. They're like, nah, I'm not feeling it today. I'm going to come in at 1030 a.m. or like in emails I'll tell them, this is all grammatically incorrect. Did you not check your spelling? And they're like, why would I do that? Isn't that kind of limiting? Jake, your thoughts on what she says about Gen Z. It's an interesting uh, perspective because she's been working a long time. I mean, she was a child star. She was in 
Was it? Uh, no, that was Tatum O'Neill. I'm thinking of Bad News Bears. Um, Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. She was in. Mm-hmm. I think was was she in uh, 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 ta- Taxi Driver? Was that Jodie Foster? Was oh, that a Taxi Driver? I, I don't know. She was in a yes. Nick says yes. She was nominated. How would you, how would you know, Nick? I've seen that movie. That's a classic, yeah, man. Robert De Niro. You weren't even born. <laughs> My I dad brought it up for me. Right. I don't think I was either. But she. So she was only. I think she was nominated for Academy Award at fifteen. Mm-hmm. She's been in the you know in the industry forever, and she's had to act like an adult for a long time because it's yeah. a very tough industry. So I think she understands a little something about work ethic. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be successful in that industry for as long as she has, and now she's a director. And she's starring in this new season of True Detective. Um, but is it fair for her to lump in all these Gen Zers to say that they have bad work ethic? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I'm totally, <laughs> I'm totally fine with it. But I think because I'm getting older, then I'm like, oh, the younger generation, they don't know how hard we had it. They don't know how hard everything is because everything's so simple for them now. They have mm-hmm. technology and everything. Mm-hmm. Also, spell check. I mean, they should just that should be fixing itself. Right, right. They're like purposefully spelling things wrong if mm-hmm. things are spelled wrong. Um, but yeah, I think it's kind of funny. I don't mind it. So, you know, I would, you know, lumping and things and making sweeping statements about Gen Z and an entire generation and just saying that all of them, and I would assume that, you know, all of them aren't this way, but man, do I feel like most of them are. Man, do I feel like most of Gen Z has this, oh, I just don't really feel up to it. Uh, can I just come in at this time? Or, oh, I need to just have a day. Why do you think ca- that is? Because I have thoughts on why I think it is, but why do you think that is? I think that Gen Z has been born and raised with technology in their hands. So where when I was a kid, we didn't have access to the iPad, access to technology. Gen Z is always the one in your office that's helping you with your technical problems and situations, number one. I think Gen Z, like as far as intelligence, they are more intelligent than our generation because they've had so much access to information. I think I also believe that because things were so bad, right, they have able to come in and ride the wave on how things should get better. Right. So, for example, you mean like pandemic bad? Is that what you're about? No, before that, I'm meaning like our work ethic. Right. Like, for example, uh, Paul works for this company. Paul has never taken a day off in 20 plus years. And it's discouraged that the company takes time off. And we, and we celebrate that. Like, oh man, what's Paul doing? He's over there hacking. He's sick. Oh, well, you know, Paul never misses work. Paul is sick. And then you, then Michael comes in and is like, hey, boss, I have a sniffle. What do you mean you have a sniffle? You, what are you, sick? You're supposed to work through sickness. It was so bad on the extreme that Gen Z has come in and is riding that wave of things getting better, but also at the same time using their intelligence to take advantage of that situation. See, I don't, I don't, I don't buy this at all. Uh, in my experience, the people who are most likely to pull an entitled stunt like staying home just because they feel like it are people who have the most power in the office, and that's usually the people with the most tenure. Let's be honest, man. The people who have been in a place the longest get to get away with the most stuff. And the people who are the, the youngest and paid the least, if they want to say, hey, I have a mental, I need a mental health day, at least they're being honest, man. You need a day? Take a day. That's fine. I'm cool with it. As for the whole like email thing, you know what? Being grammatically correct on emails, I wouldn't find that a universally true like generational trait. And, and I would just say that that older generations 
often struggle with new technology, right? Like younger generation might not be able to write the email perfectly. Older generations like, yeah, I ain't even learning that new system. Not going to try. Yeah. They're sending it by fax. I, I want to yeah. <laughs> ask you this straight up. Let's just go around the horn and we'll yeah. get it yeah. simple. Yeah. Do you think that Gen Z works harder than the generations previous to them? Gen I think X and baby every boomers. Every generation millennials, says millennials. the younger generation is lazier. Every generation says that, and it's not true. Okay. Jake, your, your thoughts? Do I think they work harder than, than we work? Yeah. No. Nick, your thoughts? This is a very ageist thing to say from Jodie Foster. First of all, I want to say, I think she's an idiot for saying this. Hypocritical, oxymoronic, to one hand say we're annoying and complacent, but at the same time we need to relax? That doesn't make any sense to me. She needs to check her privilege when it comes to the time and era where she was growing up in her 20s and 30s when the wage gap was much less severe and volatile than it was today. Oh, by the way, it goes back to a level of opportunities each era received and is getting today, or the lack thereof. So I can understand as to why she thinks Gen Z is coming up short, but for from my perspective, we've been working harder than before because have in order to survive and pay the bills since inflation seems to be making everything more expensive. Last I checked, both Gen Z and arguably more of older generations have been increasingly working from home. I can name a few boomers of Gen Xers who have done that. So really out of touch with this take, in my opinion. It got me really fired up. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 Jake, I, bro, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that out of Nick. <laughs> I think Nick, kinda, you're saying kind of puts the punctuation oh, on it. Oh, we're lazy. How many hours did you have to work to earn your house? Exactly. Is that what you're saying? First of all, Nick, fire point. Well done. Incredible. In your friend group of the friends that you have, the people that you know, are you one of the hardest working? In that group. I think I have some pretty solid friends when it comes to, like, their ethic. But, yeah, I'm one of the harder working guys for sure. Okay. I'll give myself credit in that way. So you're leaning closer to Gen Z not working as hard. I won't say that. I wouldn't say they're bad. I would say I'm on the leading edge, but they're not lazy. And I'm, you know what? I think it's ages to say that uh, that generation is responsible for being the most lazy because there's plenty of older people that are doing the same thing. I can't argue with you there. <laughs> I can't. Hey, coming up next, uh, we're going to be breaking down Joe Coy and his appearance as the host of the Golden Globes. There was a joke that he made, and I wonder if he wishes he could take it back. We do that next. It is the Gene Ursa Show with Jake Scorheim.